So the year for us was 2006. It was the first time in my life that I think I really tasted fear. I mean, there had been several times in my life that I'd been fearful, but not really drank of the cup of fear, like many of you probably have in your life. But 06 was one of those times for April and I. Uh, life was good. Uh, we're pastoring a church in Farwell, Texas, a place we loved. Uh, we had two little kids. Our life had kind of, it just gotten sweet. Uh, we had a, a little tiny baby and another baby. And uh, our, our daughter, our oldest, went to bed that night, kind of not feeling real good. She just was coughing and hacking and stuff. And um, that morning I got up and I went to wake her up and I, I would pat her and, and I'd say, Mackenzie. And she would look at me and then she, her eyes would roll back. And she'd go limp. And I, I kind of looked at her like, this is crazy. And I noticed she had a little bit of blood in her nose. And so I picked her up and I patted her and I said, Mackenzie. And her eyes opened again and then they'd roll back in her head and she'd go back to limp. And so I, I till April, called a pediatrician. We, at the time, had a pediatrician. We knew her cell number. And so April calls her and she answers and she goes, hey, uh, Kyle's having trouble getting Mackenzie alert. And the Pediatrician's like, okay, and I'm holding Mackenzie, and, and she's in my hands, and I can't keep her awake. And from my standpoint, that was the moment that fear became real for me. Um, holding my, my oldest, my daughter, in my hands and not being able to keep her awake. I'm patting her a little bit harder now, probably like about the way a nurse would at the hospital saying, Mackenzie, and she would open her eyes in just enough time to go limp again. And I looked at April and I said, we've got to go. And at that point, a April hadn't seen Mackenzie really face to face until that moment. And then her fear was real. And so we told the pediatrician on the phone, we're going to the hospital. And she said, absolutely go. And I called my secretary at the office at the time and said, can you meet us between your house and heading towards out of town towards the emergency room? And she met us, and we dropped off my youngest, who is still, you know, just a baby in a car seat. And she took him and diaper bag and everything, and we went flying down the road. Uh, April's holding Mackenzie in her arms. I'm driving, and as I'm driving, I'm going, I've got a call ahead. So I, I call 911, and as a dad, I wish I could tell you that I was calm and collective, but all I could get out were tearful statements. Our daughter won't wake up. Meet us, please. And we're, we're flying down the road as fast as I can make the car go. And April and I are both in tears, and we just can't make our daughter wake up. And, and so April reaches down and finds a water bottle under the seat. And she opens it up, and, and she kind of pours a little bit in Mackenzie's mouth, and she becomes animated. And as we're just about to get into town where the emergency room is, we see the emergency vehicles circling around us, and they, we pull over, and they pull her out of the car, and they put her in the back of the emergency vehicle with my wife and her, and, and off they go, and I'm in the car alone, and all I could think was, God help us. My fear had taken over what I believed that God could do in that moment. Have you ever been there? Have you ever drank in deep of fear? It's crippling. Fear drives us to make a response. It, it always drives us. And, and listen, I wish that I could tell you today that fears are always easy to overcome. If they were, no one would ever be fearful. 
But there's some moments that make us respond to things that are out of control. I mean, today, we're so grateful and thankful. We had unbelievable moments with God during that time where we had to just give God this kind of answer. God, if you take our daughter, we'll love you. Because we didn't know the outcome. Y'all know the outcome because she's here today with us. But in those moments, we had no clue what God's plan was going to be. All we could think through was the fear that drove us in those moments. And I don't know if you've ever been there. I don't know if you've ever been wrenched in a moment that makes you have to respond. And if you have, you know what it feels like to live in a moment or maybe moments of fear. And they're real. And I... I've heard the acrostic, it's false evidence is appearing real. And I'm grateful for those people that have that. And I believe there's a lot of fear, and we'll talk about it, that is that. But there are some real moments, aren't there, that make you respond and make you test your faith in God. And in these moments, we have to have a response. We have to have something in us that's a default mechanism that allows God to be God and you to be a follower of His or not you see fear is a real test of who is God it's a test like no other it's a mountain like no other because fear is going to come there's going to come a moment in your life it's happened in mine and I know many of you in this room I've been in some of your fear moments with you where fear is really at your door where that mountain seems unmovable you've been there You've experienced it. You've seen it firsthand. So how do we conquer Fierce Mountain? I want to start by going back to week two of this series with you, where we talked about worry and the difference between worry and fear. Worry is a response to something that you're not in the middle of. Worry is worrying about something that's not currently happening to you in that moment. So worry is thinking about something, giving time to something, having a response to something you're not currently in. Like, I'm worried about a test I've got to take. I'm worried about a meeting with my boss. I'm worried about how we're going to make ends meet. There's some worry that we don't currently live in, but that we're thinking about for the future. Fear is a response of where you're at. It is what's happening around you that's leaning in on you. Let me give you a for instance. I don't go through haunted houses. You know why? I'm worried about my response. Because, listen, I was always a small kid in school, and I played football. So my natural response was this. If you made fun of me or my mom, I punched you. I'm worried that I will walk into a haunted house, and someone will jump out, and I will knock them out. And I know they're just a high school student in makeup. I don't want to be in the paper. Local pastor walks into a haunted house, knocks out five kids. I'm worried that would be the headline. Don't do it. Fear is me in the haunted house. And the kid jumps out. And I go, like like a little girl. Because that would be my response. And then, and I'd be like, oh man, I'm sorry. Your chainsaw was really scary. Get back up. That would be my response. Worry and fear are different. Fear is in the moment, and frankly, if we're being honest, we would say we battle more worry mountains than fear moments and mountains with God, because we like to worry 
a lot about stuff that never is going to happen to us. And rarely do we have to fear many things. Because rarely are we put in a situation where fear becomes a real option. But let's just talk when that moment occurs, what do we do? I'm blown away by people in law enforcement, first responders, military, because they all have like a standard operations before them. When something happens, this is what they do. It takes a lot of guesswork out and allows them to be very proficient. But why is it that we as Christians don't have some standard operating procedures? I believe that's what this is all about, don't you? That's why God gave us the Bible, is so that we wouldn't have to guess at what to do. When a moment occurs, we would have standard operating procedures that we could default to. The problem is this. Let's just be honest. We'd rather do it our way. It's harder to go to the Bible and say the Bible's right. Because it's easier to do it the way you think in the moment. How many times have you done something, blown it, and then been in a Bible study a few weeks later? And like Beth Moore or Charles Stanley or somebody says it, and you go, oh, why didn't I read that three weeks earlier? You ever had that moment? Y'all need to go to more Bible studies. Anyways, it happens all the time for those of y'all that are in it. How many times have you been in the Word and you're locked into a moment and you open your Bible that day and, and you're in Leviticus and God tells you about how God sends perfect sacrificial lambs ahead of sacrifices and, and you're constantly being beat up by sin and then you go to the New Testament and you hear that God is the perfect sacrifice. You go, oh, God, you didn't intend me to live this way. This is why we have the Word. It's so we have some standard operating procedures. And so let's look at those today. Why don't you join me in the book of Psalms this morning. Psalms 46. We're just going to read the book of Psalms 46 today. And I promise you it's not like like a super long psalm. Some of those you're like, next page, still the same psalm. This one's just one page. You ready? Psalms 46. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, a helper who is always found in times of trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth trembles and the mountains topple into the depths of the seas, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with its turmoil, there is a river. Its streams delight the city of God, the holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her, and she will not be toppled. God will help her with the morning dawns. Nations rage, kingdoms topple, and the earth melts when he lifts his voice. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold, and it it asks for another pause. It says, come and see the works of the Lord, who brings devastation on the earth. He makes war cease throughout the earth. He shatters bows and cuts spears to pieces. He burns up the chariots. Stop your fighting and know that I am God, exalted among the nations, exalted among the earth. Yahweh the host is with us. The God of Jacob is our stronghold. I I want you to capture this moment about what God says with fear. Because there's like two parts of this passage in Psalms 46. First is this, there is God the stronghold and then a fear is there. And then he says, not only can you conquer fear, but know what to fear. And let's talk about fear for just a second. There's really... Two kinds of fear that scripture talks about. One, it says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. This fear is respect or reverence. 
It is when God moves you to put God in his proper place. When we do that, he becomes like a coach on the sideline. I remember when I was playing high school football, our coach on the sideline was mean. And I don't know if any of y'all grew up with a a football coach like this, but you did not want to mess up because you had to make it back to him. And the guy across from you may be bigger than you, but the coach was also bigger than you. And you'd much rather face the guy than the coach. And so when the coach was on the sideline, he called in a play, you looked at him and believe me, I loved my head football coach. He was a guy that I respected. He was a guy that I looked up to. And the guy across from me, I didn't know from anybody. He was a nobody to me. But why is it that when it comes to football, when I'd go across and I'd look up to him, because remember I was small, I'd, I'd get across the line and I'd go, hello. You know, I, it, it, was, it was this moment of clarity. Only thing I could do was to look back to the sideline and see my coach there who, who was snarling and, and in the game and going, I just don't want to disappoint that man because I respect and love him and frankly, I don't want to face him. And so the guy across from me became from this big to this big to me. Because now he was the lesser. And that's exactly what this fear is of God, is this healthy respect for who God is makes everything in light of him small. Small, small, small. This is the fear of God. This is not the fear we're going to talk about today. In fact, if you wanted to know an equation, it's this. This isn't in your notes. A fear of God equals less of a fear of everything else. When we put God in his proper perspective, everything else becomes very tiny. It's only when we start to lose that fear of God and how great he is and how good he is and how much he loves you do the things of the world become bigger in front of us. There is no mountain in your life that is big to God. It's all perspective. You see, when God changes our perspective, it changes everything. I, I want you to look at the text with me this morning. First is this. The first three uh, verses of this book give us this context. God is our place of peace, of strength, and of help. God is our place of peace, strength, and health. Let's look at it. Verse 1. God is our refuge and strength And a helper. So I didn't even have to like cheat. There was the answer to that. This is what God brings to the table. Who is always found in times of trouble. You ever depended upon someone that seemed really dependable at the time? I'm talking to you like you put all of of your hopes and plans in them because they were so dependable and they didn't show. And you're like, man, where were you? This happened because you weren't here. And they're like, oh, man, I'm sorry. I slept in. You're like, well, you're a jerk. And you're no longer my friend on Facebook. Deleted. See, God is always there. Here's the problem with it. We have to understand how God shows up. Because there's times in our story as we're on this side of heaven that we don't understand when God shows up or he doesn't. Because bad things happen. I mean, tragedies happen. Moments of heart-wrenching burden happen. So how do we know when God shows up? Well, let's remind ourselves of who God is in context and what our response is supposed to be to God. Is God good? The answer is yes. Is God good to you always? See, this is the question. Because if God is good, but in your story, he's not showing up as a hero. 
we got to wonder who is lying in this story. Because if all Scripture is God-breathed, and if God is truthful in his response to us, if his truth in Scripture is right, why is it that crappy things happen? Let's just admit it. Sometimes we don't understand. I have people every time that something bad happens in our world, they text or call me or Facebook me and say, why does this happen? I mean, if God is good, why does he allow this to happen? Let's remember who God is. Do we want a God that is forceful on us? Or do we want a God that loves us unconditionally? Because God can be that, and I believe that God has done that in times. Uh, Certainly in the life of Noah, we get that at some point God was very forceful. He went, I'm tired of all the sin. I'm tired of all the corruption. There's one family that I'm going to save, and the rest of y'all are done. If we wanted God's full justice on our lives, if we wanted God's full fairness over us, none of us would level up. You ever wondered that, like, why is it that God allows bad things to happen in good people's lives? Because there is no such person. There is no one that's good. None of us has it put together enough to be considered good. None of us has lived a perfect life. There's one man that lived a sinless, perfect life, right? We get this from Scripture. His name was? Jesus. That's good. Y'all are awake. That's good. And God chose him and put on him all of the sin of us. And he died for our sins and was buried and rose again so that we could have victory from our sins. None of us is good. There is no such thing as, why does God just allow bad things to happen to good people? Because there is none. There is no good. We're all corrupted. We all have something in our back pocket we wish no one knew. We all have a story that we wish no one would read. None of us has it good. So how do we make sense of God then? Is God just saying, well, you're all bad, so I'm just going to allow bad to happen? Does God go, I don't care what happens because I'm in heaven and y'all are on earth and y'all are just stuck until you die or you come home with me? Is that the story of the gospel? Is that what Jesus died for? Is it just a future tense thing? Or does he really care about you today? Well, let's look at what Psalms 46 says. It says this, that God is three things. He is a refuge, he is strength, and he is a helper. Number one, he is a refuge, which means he is a place to run into. Um, have you ever seen a mobile, um, a mobile fortress? I've seen mobile homes. I've seen tiny houses. I've never seen a fortress move, have y'all? Here's why. It wouldn't be strong. A refuge is something you run into, not get run over by. And so when you have times in your life that you would say, God hasn't been fair to me because he allowed this in my life. God's going, I'm not just allowing stuff to happen to you for any reason. And I'm not a vindictive God. God is not up in heaven playing with your life and hoping that you do something in response. God is not a vindictive God. And clearly in Scripture we can see that. Here's what God is. God is loving. And I think there's things that happen in our world that we blame on God when we should blame on ourselves, on humanity. We're frail. We're wrapped in flesh. We're all prone to suffering. We're all prone to wrong things. We're all prone to our pinkies getting stubbed as we walk through a living room. We're all prone to death. We're all prone to sickness. You know why? Because we've got flesh. And none of us has leveled up to where we can say we're immune because we all have sin. And we've all fallen short of the glory of God. And because of that, we've become frail. It doesn't make it make sense. 
It doesn't make it justified. It doesn't make it so the suffering you're going through or the wrongs you felt you've gone through or the things you wished you would have but you don't are any more right. It doesn't make it so that you can go, well, it's just God's will for me. Let me just tell you this. I believe God's will is that you would be completely whole. God created the human race to be completely whole. Absence of sickness, absence of labor, absence of all these things because he created us in the garden to be absence of the pressures of this world. Here's the problem. When sin entered, it blocks God's perfect plan. It blocks it. Sin blocks God's perfect plan for your life. Now, I'm going to tell you a a real moment here, and I hope you catch this. Just because you walk an aisle doesn't make you immune from suffering. It just doesn't because sin has already happened. You've already been infected God's plan has already been ruined for your complete healing. And even if you hadn't, guess what? Your parents did. And guess what? Your neighbors have. Guess what? Your wife has. Your husband has. Your kids have. Your neighbors have. Your coworkers have. It's all corrupt. It's all broken. God is a refuge that we run into in times of trouble, Scripture tells us. God is our refuge. The next is he's our strength. When you feel weak and when fear comes and you don't know what to do, you got to remember where your strength comes from. Because we're broken, because we've been weakened by sin, because we've allowed things in our life that God didn't want, we become very weak when it comes to the things of God. And because of that, he becomes our strength. So he's our refuge. He's our strength. And he's our help. This one's one I don't understand from God. Help is something that, frankly, if I was God, I probably wouldn't give out. Because help becomes a different line. Remember Jesus when he shows up with the disciples and he he starts washing their feet? Remember what the line he says to them in that moment? That Jesus came not to be served, but to serve. Jesus has always been our help. He is the ultimate help. So when times of fear occur, when times in life aren't going your way, when you feel like your story is unraveling, you run into a refuge where there's strength and help awaiting you. And I got to tell you, it doesn't, I, I don't know if you've ever been around people that have gone through turbulence. April and I were down in South Texas when a Hurricane Rita came through. It devastated our local area. I mean, you could see right where the hurricane had spun off tornadoes and it, it wiped patches of trees and homes out. It was just completely clear where it went through. On either side were trees and homes. I mean, a foot away, unhurt. But ride down those paths completely clean, like licked clean, as far as you could see. And seeing the faces of people that were devastated by it. April and I were some of the lucky ones. We ended up driving to my uncle and aunts in Corsicana and hanging out with them. But I walked to the church where people were staying on the floor of the church and, and started to look at their faces of just devastation, knowing their homes were gone, their houses were missing. They had missing family members. And seeing the faces of devastation in the midst of refuge reminded me of something. That refuge sometimes is a place to come and heal from the wounds of our life. And in those moments, the church showed strength and help to these people. They'd put their arm around them and say, we're with you. We won't leave your side. They were helped to say, what can we do when you get back? Let's get you some resources. You see, sometimes in our lives, we're going to want God to answer our questions 
quicker than we really want them. Maybe even sometimes we want God to answer our questions in a way that we want them, and he's unwilling to give. Is God good in those moments? Because, see, fear will tell you this. When things happen in your life, you can't depend upon God. It's got to be all you. That's your response. You know, you're going to have to stand up. You're going to have to say, you're going to have to do this. You're going to have to do that. Anytime your brain tells you that you are going to have to take care of you, fear has taken over where God's supposed to be. I heard a pastor one time talking to his security team, and they simply said this question, Pastor, what if somebody comes into the sanctuary and shoots you? What would we do? And he said, you would thank God that I knew him when I went to heaven because it would be my time. I'll never forget that. Anybody want to know the pastor? Tony Evans. His church runs multi-thousands every Sunday. Tony stands in front of his people without any kind of protective vest or anything like that. He stands up and preaches the gospel, and he stands countercultural. But i got to tell you something. We've got to get to a place where we start to give God his dues in our lives. Either God is God or we are. Fear is the test of that. The next is this. Fear changes when God is present. Verse 4, we get to this thing of turbulence and water roaring and foam forming and mountains quaking and all this turmoil. And you can almost hear the orchestra starting to hit that high note screech sound. And then it goes to quiet. Boom. And it says there's a river. Comes through the city of God. The holy dwelling place of the Most High. God is within her and she will not be toppled. God will help her when the morning dawns. You just feel that peace, can't you? Because fear changes when God is present. So our first response to fear should be this. God, something's happening in my life and I need your presence. I need you, Lord. Because when God shows up, fear runs away. Chuck Swindoll talks about a time where his grandbabies were at his house. He was watching them while his daughter and son-in-law were away, and there's a knock at the door late that night. Heavy knock, boom, boom, boom. Of course, the grandkids are startled, so is he. And his youngest grandson runs up and he grabs his leg. And he goes, hey, it's okay, it's okay. Let granddad handle this. And as he's walking, the grandson is walking with him but holding on to that pant leg. Swindoll walks up and he says, hey, it's going to be okay. Boom, 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 knock on the door. Swindoll opens the door and it's one of his kids' high school roommates, friends, you know. And he says, hey, man, come on in. You know, they're in the back. Shuts the door and the grandson's there and he gets down and he says, hey, man, it's going to be okay, isn't it? And the grandson said, now it is. And he said, do you know what changed that story for his grandchild was not who came through the door but whose leg he was holding on to. This is what happens to fear when God shows up. It's not that you have to answer fear's door. you got to hold on to someone that's not afraid. Listen, this world is full of fraidy cats. Let's be honest, we're, we're them. Anything that happens, we respond in our fear to do drastic steps. It makes us do things we normally wouldn't do. It makes us move in ways we normally wouldn't move. 
But when we hold on to God, he allows us to be clear-headed because he is unfearful. There is no fear in God. Every mountain that we see is small. Every obstacle that we have to pass is movable. Every moment in your life that seems insurmountable is easily beaten because God is not fearful and he can move anything he wants. So let me ask you the question right down the middle of this and we'll end quickly. I want to ask you one more time. Can God move your mountains? I believe he can too. The question is this. Will you let him? It's one thing to believe. It's another thing to jump. We have to get to a place where fear doesn't keep us from allowing God to do what only God can do. And let me just give you where I think fear has shown up its best. I believe there's about three or four, maybe a dozen ways, but let me give you a few that I can see on a constant basis. Number one, religiosity. Religiosity takes the place of gospel truth. When we allow our religion to take place over the gospel, fear has set down and God has stood up. That's one area. Can I give you another? I believe fear shows itself really well in our families. Because we have all these things that we tell God that he should be doing, but he's not. And then we become fearful of them. God, what if you don't? God, what if this happens? It's reminded of this uh, famous aristocrat back in the day who saw a newspaper article about a child that got ran over in a street. And it wounded him deeply. He began to think about it all the time. And he started to think about what if that happened to his children. And so what he did is he went and bought a large portion of land. He immediately put up a large fence around it. He built a a playground out in the middle and put a fence around it for his children. So no car could ever come near his kids. He uh, provided private tutors for his children so they'd never have to leave the compound. He sat in there and he built this huge house that was one level so they never had to fall downstairs. He didn't have any sharp knives in the house in fear of they would run and stab themselves. There were no scissors in the house. Every single electrical outlet was covered and insulated doubly so those kids would never be electrically shocked. None of the uh, the places in the room, uh, bathrooms had baths because he was so fearful that his kids would drown in the bathtub. Everything in his life was so fearful, he had no way of knowing what was next for his kids. He had a one-car garage that was only his car that he only pulled out when all of his kids were indoors. And so one day, out of nowhere, he went to go to the grocery store. And as he was backing out, his youngest got loose from the oldest and ran behind the car, and he ran them over. Because there's this crazy thought in our minds that we can self-protect when in reality we realize this is God the author of our story or not does God know when the end of your life is going to happen or not if he does what makes us think that we can rewrite the story that God is writing what makes us think that in all of our actions we can produce a perfect utopia where nothing bad happens to anyone The reality is this, God is good despite us. God is good despite my story or your story. God is good despite Billy Graham. God is good despite Mother Teresa. God is good because God is good. Even if your story is bad, God is good. And it's awesome to say it from the pulpit when my story seems good. 
But can God be good when our story is bad? Yes. You know why? Because our story this side of heaven is so short. It's just, man, just minor stories in a greater story of a presence with him where there is no sickness, there is no death, there is no sorrow, there is no mourning, there is no obesity, praise God. There is none of that. We can eat as many burgers as we want and always have a six-pack in heaven. I don't even know if there's burgers in heaven. I would like to think that there's only enchiladas. But let me just say this. I I believe that we think God's story is so bad because this side of heaven, it seems so long. And in God's side of heaven, it seems like this. It doesn't mean that God doesn't care about your minutes or seconds. God is the God that knows the hairs on your head. God is the God that formed you in your mother's womb. God is a God that knows the plans he has for you. This is a God who loves you. He just sees this side of heaven as temporary and not permanent. Only we see this side of heaven as permanent. All the scars we take, all the tattoos, all the piercings, all the wounds, all the stories, this side of heaven don't translate to that side. This is just a moment. Scripture says it's like a gust of wind. Here one second, gone the next. That's how God sees this side of heaven. Does God care about you today? You better believe it. Should we use the most of today that we have for his glory? Absolutely. But just remind yourself constantly that fear wants you to believe something is going to last a lifetime. And God says, this is no life. I produce life everlasting. That is so short. So let me move quickly now. God's voice changes the world. Verses 6 through 9 talks about at God's voice, he stops the world in its place. It melts away with his voice. Today, if God said, it's done, everything's gone. But just his voice. We get that knowing God brings peace from verse 10. It says, stop your fighting. Know that I'm God. Exalted among the nations, exalted among the earth. Knowing God brings us peace, doesn't it? Amen. Verse 11 says that God is with us. Yahweh, the host uh, of hosts, is with us. God of Jacob is our stronghold. God is with us, y'all. I just want to remind you of the difference of fear and peace to end. There's this moment where disciples and Jesus go out on the sea and it says the sea is getting choppy, and all these fishermen are out there. They know what it looks like to be on choppy sea. And they're holding on to the sides of the boat, and they're worried they're going to capsize. And, and they're screaming, and they're crying out, and they don't know what to do. And in the back of the boat is Jesus, snoozing away, just enjoying the boat ride, just like he's on a waterbed. Just snoozing. They're like, hey, Jesus, hey, man, don't you care that we're all going to die? You just have this moment of clarity from Jesus where he's just like, you guys still don't get who I am, do y'all? Like, we could take this boat over mountains. This thing could go down, you know, hills of snow. This thing could be on lava. And it's not going anywhere because Jesus is in the boat. And so all he does is this. All right, water, cut it out. And it just goes, Imagine that moment. From choppy sea to clear crystal. And Jesus is like, you got to remember this. 
Write it down. I produce peace. In the midst of fear, just remember who you have in your boat. This is how we conquer fear. This is how God moves the mountains of fear in our life. When they show up, and they will come, I promise you they'll come, where they're right in front of you all of a sudden because that's what fear does. It never comes out of a long way off or you'd have a chance to avoid it. It appears right then and there. Boom! Right in your face. And it makes you hit the brakes and you go, I can't go any further. What am I going to do? I'm going to run out of gas. We're not going to make it. I just can't. Ah, 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 ah. And God goes, whoa, whoa, whoa. I'm in the vehicle. Ask it to move. Mm, nah, no, Lord, I, this is the mountain. I mean, if it was like an animal, I'd honk my horn at it. You know, if it was a politician, I'd just run him over. Um, but it's a mountain, God. I, I can't do this. God's like, ask me to move it. <laughs> Lord, I, <laughs> you're awesome. Um, but, I mean, this is a mountain, God. <laughs> you're, you're God, and I love you, but <laughs> mountain. Ask me to move it. <sighs> but what if you don't? What if I do? <laughs> yeah, <that's, laughs> um, can you? Ask me. Can you move it? No, ask me to believe you. I command thee mountain. No, don't. <laughs> you're missing this, bro. Ask me to move it. Oh. <laughs> move that mountain for me, Lord. He says, what mountain? There was a mountain here. You saw it, right? There used to be Did you do that? I believe this is exactly the conversation that you need to have with God today. Because you came in and you had mountain upon mountain upon mountain upon mountain in your life. And all this time you're asking God, can you? Are you sure? And God's going, ask me. Believe I can move a mountain. And I promise you this. It's from the truth of Scripture that God can move mountains in our lives. He tells the disciples this. Hey, man, you ask a mountain to move, I'll throw it in the ocean. That's the kind of faith. If you'll just have it, I can do it. The question is this. Do we have enough faith to let God move our mountains? We believe God can do it. But do you really believe God can do it? If so, ask him. Because the mountain you used to see there, when you look back, will be gone. Trust him. He can move your mountains. Not only can he, he wants to. He's always been in your boat. He has been there all along, waiting to move your mountains. Let me pray over you. If your heads are bowed, I don't typically do this very often. I'm just going to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. Here in a minute, you're going to hear Grant start playing. So just prepare your hearts for that. You're going to hear it. But I'm going to ask you a question. Um, and it's not a salvation one, because I'll get to that. But I just want to ask you the first question. Are there mountains in your life? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm not asking you to be embarrassed. I'm not going to do that to you. Do you have mountains in your life right now? Mountains that you would say, I wish God would take it, but I'm just not sure he can. Are they there? Maybe today you would do this. Maybe you would give God the opportunity 
to move your mountains. So I'm going to invite you here in a moment to do something. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar or right where you are, I'm going to ask you, we're going to stand here and I'm going to ask you to sit and pray and just say, God, would you help me move this mountain? I know not everybody's a walk to the front kind of person. That's okay. I believe God can move your mountains right where you are. Would you allow him to do that today? Would you allow him to speak over the mountains of your life and to move them for his glory and for his sake? He is a good God, and he loves you dearly. He loved you so much that he sent Jesus Christ to die for your sins and mine. Do you believe that? I believe that Jesus died for your sins and mine. And I believe he loves you so much that he lives today so that he can make a place for you. If you would just believe in him. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart, Scripture says that you're saved. So I want you to have that opportunity today before we leave. Just to say, Lord, I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. I believe he died for my sins. Say it. And then Scripture says, believe it. And you'll be saved. There's nothing magic about walking an aisle. There's nothing special. In fact, if you can find it in Scripture, I'd love to read it. But here's what I do know. You should make him known. You should let somebody know around you that you've invited Jesus into your life. That way they can walk with you. Dale and myself, we'll be up here. We'd love to be those people in your life. Here's what's more. If it's not us, if you don't feel like walking the aisle, come find me at the end of church. Come tell me then. Maybe find someone in the pew next to you and let them know. They'll gladly walk you through the next steps. Maybe today you just say this, Kyle, fear has changed my relationship with God. I don't trust him like I used to. I don't believe he can do what he says he used to do. And so I just don't know if he's good. Can I just ask you to come and let us pray with you? I'm not going to have any special words other than just praying with you, I promise you. There's just times where fear is really real. So let me invite you now to let God move some mountains. Maybe it's the mountain of pride that would keep you from following him. Maybe it's a mountain of worry of things that are still to come. Maybe it's a mountain of fear. Maybe it's a hundred other mountains. But that you would call out to him and that you'd allow him to move your mountains. Today, maybe that mountain is a lack of salvation. Because this side of heaven is such a short story. But that side of heaven has an eternity. Would you pray and ask Jesus into your heart today? Let me pray for you. Father in heaven, I ask God that you would move in this place. God, you'd speak over all of us, Lord. Leave none of us without hearing from you in our hearts. And God, change the room with your presence. God, there is a world's worth of mountains, I believe, right here in this sanctuary that are just sitting waiting to be moved by you and at your word, Lord, you can move them all. So Father, I pray that today would be a moving day. A moving day like never seen before that mountains would fall into oceans everywhere. God, that your name would be made great. So Lord, move mountains now, Lord. We pray this in the name of Jesus and for his sake. Amen. Would you